0: Thank you, Hang. Uh, thank you, worship team. And, and thank you for having me that um, I can join with you guys. It's, uh, it really is uh, just refreshing to kind of visit other churches and worship with other uh, believers and just seeing really how God is awesomely at work just around uh, this area. But it's just a reminder to me that as we get together here, there are thousands. Of not just people, but bodies of believers that are coming and lifting God high, because He really is worthy of our worship and praise. And so, I'm really excited to be able to just bring one component of this uh, just worship to our God as I bring the Word to you all. Um, and I know Hang just pray, prayed, but I'm going to pray just really briefly and to to start off our time in the Word, uh, Lord. Um, Lord, I thank you that you do not leave us without uh, your word. You have revealed who you are to us, and Lord, I pray that this morning that you would give us eyes and ears to see and understand you, you for who you really are, God, and that that would uh, just go from our heads to our hearts to our hands and that you would, uh, God, help me to articulate well uh, just the truths in your word, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to look at Matthew chapter 13. What do you know? It's on the slide behind me, so you guys are already clued in. Uh, Verses 53 through 58, Um, and just a little bit uh, uh, about me, I, I grew up uh, in the church. I, um, I'm i a youth pastor, uh, but I, I really, my earliest memories go back to being in church. Like, I can remember when I was a little kid, I learned how to snap my fingers like this. Pretty good at it, right? So I was like six, and I remember going into the, the kids' class and obnoxiously snapping my fingers in the ears of every other kid in that room to like show my amazing skills Um, I also remember it was in that same class that as a little kid I asked Jesus into my heart Um, and then I remember going to you know doing the youth group thing and all the awkwardness of being a teen and the awesomeness and and also just really coming to grips that with wow Jesus who's in my heart actually what does it mean to make him king and have authority in my life and in my heart so all of that, actually, I, I did all of that at the same church. I've been going to the same church uh, pretty much since as far back as I can remember. And that just happens to be the church that I am the youth pastor of now. So kind of unique, uh, really awesome privilege. Um, but I think it's, you know, funny because I don't often preach on Sunday mornings. It's kind of Wednesday night is my youth group. Preaching time, and so I think it's somewhat ironic that the the morning I'm preaching on Sunday, this Sunday is um, we're looking at the passage where Jesus is rejected in his hometown. So, fortunately, I think Fairfax is far enough away from Percival that you guys we should be safe all here. Uh, no, but we're uh, Jack. I know, kind of gave you some context uh, last week on the Book of Matthew. Uh, As we're going through Jesus in chapter 13, his parables um, and his teaching, uh, these parables are really stories that parallel and show these spiritual truths that kind of mirror these stories. And Jesus is revealing a lot of new things about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is revealing new things about who he is uh, through these parables. Parables. Or parallels. <laughs> um, but now, this passage in particular, he's wrapping up the longer discourse and the teaching time. And in Matthew, the author of this book, purposes to turn us to how is he received? He's been giving these sermons, he's been giving these parables, these teachings that are revealing new things about the kingdom of heaven Now we get to see kind of how is he received and and what's the response to the people that are ultimately closest to him. So let's go ahead and we're going to dive in. We're going to read this passage. Matthew, again, 13, 53 through 58, says this. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom And these mighty works, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So I got to give a little bit more context because the text, verse 53, says after he had finished these parables. And so I do want to explain just, I know Jack preached last week on the, the parables right above, but just as a review, so I kind of break break down the, the parables above this response into three groups. We have... The treasures gained, which are the parables about the hidden treasure in the field that the man sells everything to acquire, and then the merchant who sells everything to acquire the pearl of great cost. So we have that in verses 40 through 46, the treasures gained. In verses 47 through 50, we have this parable about the inescapable judgment and the thoroughness of God's judgment. As Jack preached on the dragnet last week, and then 51 through 52 we have a parable about shared treasures. So we have treasured gained, inescapable judgment and treasured shared. And all of these things as Jesus is teaching and the book of Matthew is ultimately pointing to how Jesus is the greatest treasure. That he is the treasure that's worth selling everything and giving up everything so you can secure and make sure that you gain him ultimately. And then that the judgment is kind of, it adds a levity or a gravity to wow, no, this is serious. There's a thoroughness and there's a coming time where we all, it kind of pushes us to having to make a decision about who is this Jesus. And that the gravity of that. And then we get the treasure shared where the, the Jesus asked the disciples, he's like, do you understand what I'm talking about? And they're like, oh yeah, we get it. And he's like, then you're like the scribe who goes to his household and he pulls up the treasures that are old and new. And I love it because it's like, okay, if you have really chosen and, and you see Jesus as your greatest treasure and you're making him and you're pursuing him nothing else matters compared to gaining him, then you become like this teacher, like this scribe, that as you go, you're also sharing the treasures that you've gained from him with others. And so we see Jesus is the greatest treasure. Jesus is the door himself. I think he is the door into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the king, and ultimately, Jesus is the prophet. He is the word, right? It's like all the prophets before were kind of like receiving from God and then saying, Jesus actually is the word. What he says, it's like all prophetic. It's all from God because he is God. And so that's kind of, I think, the book of Matthew as a whole written to a Jewish audience that are very skeptical, like, okay, really? Is this really Jesus? Is this Jesus of Nazareth? Is he really God's son? And the book is trying to make the case that, yes, this is someone that you can put your faith in, that you can rest in, uh, and you will not be disappointed. So, kind of, that's where what Jesus is presenting himself as, and so we see now how will the people who are most familiar with him respond? Well, first it says that they're astonished, right? They're shocked, and all. It's kind of like they're blowing—it's blowing their circuits because they're hearing the wisdom. And, and it's like new things that they've never thought of before. They're seeing some of the miraculous powers and what, what he's doing. And, and they're, it, I mean, it's, their response is, "Where did he get this stuff? Like this Jesus, who we knew, where did he get it?" And it kind of reminds me a little bit that they're like they can't they're stumbling over, "No, this is just Jesus." Like how?" Um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you guys You guys are probably familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. You maybe know where I'm going with this. So Lucy, one of the characters, enters into the wardrobe and goes into this other world. And it's incredible. She meets the faun. It's amazing. She comes back out, and she's trying to explain it to her, her siblings. And they're like, Lucy, like come on, stop, this is, they, some scoff at her, some are like trying to defend her honor because like, she's just coming across as crazy. And that's almost like, these guys are like, Jesus, come on, like your brothers or your sisters and your, your mom's here. Um, and ultimately, they could not accept Jesus as having true authority in their life. This Jesus that we know no, he can't have, he's not the king. And they stumble over just the familiar. And then it says in verse 57, they took offense at him. So not only are they stumbling over like, oh, this is Jesus. Come on, the carpenter's son. But they also were offended because part of Jesus' message was repent. Repent because I'm bringing in the kingdom of heaven. And so repentance means you're going the wrong direction, you need to change direction and go this way, follow me. And, and that is offensive to say you're wrong, especially today. <laughs> you're wrong, you're going in the wrong direction, and you got to follow me. I mean, not, and he's not even saying you need to follow and, and make changes. No, he's saying, no, I'm the way. Follow me, make me your treasure. And that not only was he claiming to be God and, and the treasure and the door and the king, but he's saying, You're wrong and you got to follow me. And so that, that's where they took offense. And Luke, the book of Luke actually gives us a more detailed picture of their offense. Uh, so if you guys want to look into Luke chapter 4, not right now, in your own quiet time but i mean they were so offended that they took them to the edge of the cliff at the end of the town and were ready to throw them off and jesus kind of just passes you guys remember that story passes through their midst because it wasn't his time but just unwilling to accept his authority as king over their lives and they they took offense at his prophetic ministry saying hey no you got to change you got to follow me so I want to pause real quick because I think on the flip side, I think we learn some. I think we, we learn some cool things about Jesus um, from the people's response from their. You know, not what you would want. That's my daughter over there. She's great. Um, yeah. Uh, so we learn some cool things about Jesus here. Uh, so first, he truly entered into this world, into the plainness. Of life. Like before his public ministry, he was a normal guy. He knew what it was like to live in the rhythm of just the rhythm of his culture and society. He knew what it was like to hold down a job, to be diligent at his craft. He didn't have the son of God carpentry as the name of his business, you know, gets it right every time. No, he had to build relationships and, and get clients and, and sustain those and, and continue and, and sustain a business. Working for his dad or, you know, whatever. But he had a craft. And he did that for the majority of his life, actually. He lived in pretty much obscurity. So you got the virgin birth, the angels, the stars, all this incredible stuff surrounding his birth, which authenticate that, no, this is the Son of God. This is someone who is special. Then they flee to Bethlehem, or not Bethlehem, they go from Bethlehem to Egypt, and then eventually they come back to Nazareth. But for the majority of his life, he's just pretty normal. And I just, I take comfort in that because It's nice to know that Jesus really knows what it's like to just be in the routine of life. Like he was not put on a pedestal. In fact, the people stumbled over like, come on, Jesus, you're the carpenter's son. You know, we have your goofy brothers over here, your simple sisters over here, your mom's right here. Like, snap out of it, Jesus. I appreciate it because He's relatable. He truly entered into our world in every way. But then as you start looking at his deity and the fullness of who he is, that he's not just a nice guy, but he starts revealing who he truly is as God, as the king, as the Messiah king that these people have been waiting for for centuries he begins when you put those both together and and he begins to reveal that it ha- he has this polarizing effect like a lot of these parables it, it kind of pushes you to you no know, you either have to be on board fully or you got to walk away and you got to acknowledge what he's claiming and you either jump in or you you got to just intentionally step away That Jesus has a polarizing effect. Um, So that that brings us back to Jesus' comment, um, which is, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, in his own household. So this was actually just a contemporary saying that Jesus was using. He wasn't quoting Old Testament scripture. He just knew that, these people knew the saying, um, And basically, uh, a prophet has honor everywhere except his hometown and in his own household. And it holds true to Jesus. And Jesus' response, ultimately, is, verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So this is not saying that, okay, Jesus, because... They didn't have faith. He has his hands tied behind his back. He can't do miracles unless you believe enough. No, this is Jesus coming in, again, presenting himself as the door into the kingdom, as the treasure. He's presenting himself as the king, and, and it's like they, in their unbelief, they just kind of close the door. Um, and I would say it was a close the door and a no thank you, but I mean, no, it was it was more of like a slam, like, you know, like throw them off the cliff kind of thing. <laughs> um, thanks for not doing that to me, by the way. Um, no, so... Um, but the other thing that I wanted to just share um, is this text, I think a lot of people can use this text kind of as the proof text that if you have enough faith, if you believe enough, and when you pray, then God will give you this or God will do this. Or if you prayed and you didn't get or God didn't heal, then that's your fault because you didn't have enough faith, you didn't believe, and you closed the door to Jesus because you didn't believe enough. And and that's not, that's not what this text is saying for us today. The crux of this passage is not about Jesus doing the miracles. The crux of the passage is that the people, he presented himself as the king, and the people did not believe that he really had authority in their lives. They really could not accept him in his role as king over their lives. So, what do we do with this passage? Um, Ultimately, how will you respond to King Jesus in the everyday, ordinary times of life? Do you really believe that he is the king, that he has authority, that he can do things. So I got this really good um, analogy from someone else who shared it with me, uh, but it's kind of like a no duh thing. So I want you guys to consider the, the country or the nation of England. You know, the, the queen, the monarchy. Um, people, I think, in England really like their queen. They really like the idea of having a monarchy. I, I think I, I'm not like an expert or whatever. But generally, I feel like I, I, it seems to add an air of civility to like, the English people. Like, you know, like, yes, we are one of those um, holdouts on the whole monarch thing. Um, so they like the idea of it. But if you ask any English person who ultimately holds real authority in the government they're not going to hesitate to tell you that, well, it's the prime minister, it's parliament and the house of commons, and, and the, the monarch is kind of this side thing that's nice to have, but, and it's this neat picture, and it's always been there in tradition, and, and they know a lot about it, but when it comes to really who has authority, well, it's the prime minister. That's what we get riled up about. Um, and I think in the same way, Especially for those who grow up in kind of the culture of Christianity, you hear a lot about Jesus, um, and you're a Christian, and you're familiar, and, and you kind of know the right answers. But it's kind of become it can become this. Well, Jesus is over here, and he's nice, and he adds some civility to my life. But but really, in reality. This is the prime minister. Um, This is what has. This is what I'm going to orient my decisions around. This is what I'm going to orient my life around, my schedule around. My priorities are kind of really going to structure around what I can do um, or fill in the blank. I think we can allow Jesus to kind of blend into the backgrounds of the rhythm of our lives. And again, I was really encouraged coming here and just worshiping with y'all and just hearing your voices. And it, it's, it's awesome, again, and refreshing to see God working. But sometimes we can. I mean, again, I'm guilty of this. Growing up in the Christian church, kind of just getting in these ruts, Where if we're honest, other things have really taken a front seat in our lives. And we don't, we believe in Jesus, but we don't really believe he has a real authority at our workplace. We believe in Jesus, but we don't really believe he has authority in our homes, working with our kids, changing diapers. I mean, that's my life right now. Um, But, man, like... No, he is king and he actually knows all about that as king. And he wants to come in and be there and have authority as you give him, give him the authority. Well, I mean, he already has it, so it's like it's more just acknowledging that he has it and surrendering to him. Um so again, if you're Kind of in this rut of Jesus is kind of the familiar thing in the background, but he's not really my king. He doesn't really have authority. I just encourage y'all, he is the treasure, he is the door, he is worthy of like surrendering and being his subject, so to speak, like in every aspect of our life. And so I just encourage you all, if that's you kind of in the rut of familiar, I know kind of the answers. Then grab someone else and and share and and pursue God. And as you pursue him, share the treasure together with one another. And as you do this, as you pursue him and follow him today, seeking the kingdom of heaven that he is bringing, he's going to give wisdom He's going to give joy, peace, patience, purpose. In other words, he's going to change you. Like, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you should continue to grow. Continue to make him really your treasure in every area. And then, as you grow, share the treasure, right? Don't hide the light under a bushel. No? We're going to let it shine. You guys familiar with that song? Yeah? Okay. Um, so, uh, so the thing about <laughs> as you share, we see kind of the other side where Jesus ran into, and that's a prophet's not um, without honor except for in his hometown and his own household, which is the rejection side of things. So as you really make Jesus your king... And as you pursue him and are sharing the treasures that you've found with others, you're going to start forcing other people to make decisions about Jesus. Because when Jesus is king in your life, you have this the king, and, and he begins to shine out of you. And it impacts the people around you. It changes you. And so they have to reconcile, like, what is going on with this person? And it forces them to come to grips with either the light, seeing the light and being like, I want that. I want what you have. Or they see the light and it's like, whoa, whoa, no. I don't want any part of that. Because that that right there is weird. Um, and I like what I'm doing. And I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Sometimes... Well, I'll I'll share. So again, growing up, I mean, I'm the youth pastor of the church I grew up in. So like part of the ministry, not just for a pastor, but for us as we make Jesus our king is to proclaim truth. And sometimes truth makes people really uncomfortable. Like, whoa. Um, and so I'll, I'll just share, like, what I wrestle with. I'm, like, the nice youth pastor guy. Like, I want just people to like me, and, and, but God has been teaching me through this and through a lot of other things that, okay, part of loving people and part of being part of a, a body of Christ, not just, you know, hang out friends, but we're part of the church, and this body is that we are going to we're gonna speak truth even when it's uncomfortable. When we see someone who's not going down the right path and is kind of walking away and making themselves lord and king, like coming alongside that person and and having uncomfortable potentially conversations and pointing them back. And and I'll be those are hard. I'd rather just be liked and be like, yeah, you know, we're. But when we make Jesus king, we kind of adopt some of that that prophet and speaking the truth into others' lives. And it's especially hard, I think, for those who are closest to us. Maybe it's not for some of you. Um, Maybe you guys are just like, yeah, I'm I'm the truth guy. (laughs) Um, But for those who are closest to us, sometimes it can be even more challenging because it's like, they know me. They, they have the list of reasons why I'm not qualified to share this information with them or to share this with them or um, I don't want to make things weird. Just like the people in Nazareth had the list of things. Come on, Jesus, you're the carpenter's son. You're this or your bro- brothers and your sisters and your, your mom here. We know you, Jesus. Stop the pretend act thing. I think it's both sharing but also how we live that again it changes us it gives us the joy the purity of heart the purity of speech all these things force people to go in a direction and I think it's true both for those who came to Christ later in their life and they're like going back and trying to share with their friends or their family and it's like you get kind of Two different reactions to it. And it's, but it's also true, I think, for those who grew up in the church are kind of like they're comfortable, which is, I mean, it's good. That's a huge blessing. I was hugely blessed. Um, but I'll share a story about growing up. I shared the, the cheesy, immature, snapping finger thing. Um, I'll share another immature and also somewhat profound season. Um, really in my own home. Um, so, first of all, I am the seventh child of eleven. So I realized I should probably just let you guys know about that. Um, and one of the worst chores of all times, as you guys can probably imagine, was who's doing dishes, right? Like there was that was the source of a lot of like civil sibling, sibling rivalry and arguments and just like bitterness, like, oh my goodness, not good. (laughs) Um, And I remember finally my sister, Mary, who's just older than me, very practical, administrative, she came up with the idea of, well, let's make a chart and a list to see, you know, who's doing the dishes next. Pretty brilliant, right? Does anyone else have, like, the dishes chart? Yeah, who does the dishes? Okay. One guy. Good job. (laughs) Um, So that helped a little bit, but, I mean, the argument started again. It's like, oh, well, I did it for lunch, and and now you should do it for me for dinner. Anyway, so meanwhile, that's all happening and brewing in our family. And then my dad, I don't think he really realized about the the bitterness and the the dishes situation, but he suggested that, okay, we're going to do a Bible study together as a family, so I guess we were old enough to do the dishes. So we were old enough to to know how to read the Bible and do Bible study. And so we started meeting together, going verse by verse through like the Book of James or something like that. And I remember like my younger siblings. I have two uh, twin sisters that are just younger than me. Uh, and I remember they began to share like kind of these insights, and uh, it was good uh, good stuff. But I remember like responding like, "Oh come on!" Like you know, just kind of scoffing at them a little bit. Um, gosh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I was a jerk then. Um, and I remember it also kind of like made me competitive in my Bible study. Like I'm gonna have the better insight, right? Um, and then I remember Anna and Abby started to like do dishes when it wasn't their turn, and I was like. Hmm. Well, first, I kind of scoffed at them again, like, haha, they probably don't even know it's not their turn, like, uh, and I'm not going to tell them either, Um, but then they did it a couple more times, and I just noticed that there was, like, a difference. There was, like, a genuine joy as they were doing this thing that everyone hated, and I just, I remember just really being struck, like, no, Something is different about them. And I grew up in the church. I knew about Jesus. I knew all the, all the things. But God then began to convict my heart and convict me and really wake me up from the lull of just going through the familiar Christian motions to realize that Jesus is real. That he really could come into my boring, everyday, pimply teenage life, and he could transform me. Not in a radical, fix all my problems kind of way, but in a, I can have joy in the midst of doing dishes, which I harbored so much bitterness toward, that he could actually transform me. And so Again, as we look at this passage, as we look at Jesus coming into his hometown, the place everyone knew him where he was most familiar with, knowing that Jesus went through the daily stuff, the routines, and yet he claims to be king. And he wants to be king in our everyday, moment by moment life and decisions. Like, I think sometimes we can kind of glorify. The like doing the big thing, and like, yes, God's gonna work through the big thing. But my testimony is God used a tiny, tiny thing, and He changed my life. And now I'm passionate about sharing Jesus with other students, I'm passionate about sharing and talking about the King to you all. So I say. Don't despise the day of small things. From Zechariah 4.10. Again, the parable of the leaven in the loaf. It's the tiniest speck of leaven, but it works its way out. So Jesus doesn't just... Sometimes he totally transforms and it's overnight. And sometimes it's in the tiny little thing. And it's over time. And it's over time as we trust, as we make him king in the little things. And he begins to permeate our whole lives. And, and, and then go out to those around us. Don't despise the day of small things. It's because of that, again, that I'm here. So my question to you all is, how is God calling you to follow him in the ordinary? Do you really accept and really make him king, not just the monarch over here, but king in every aspect of your life? Or is it like, well, that's kind of the normal, believe Jesus, and uh, that doesn't really apply to this situation, which is really hard and serious. And, and, and sometimes it's not like Jesus is going to do a miracle and change everything. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he wants us just to, just to trust him. And it changes our mentality so that we approach this challenge being a light through the challenge that impacts others. Again, do you believe he can do the amazing things through the mundane routines? And this is not a sermon about, okay, try harder in all the little things. It's like, no, just believe that he is actually the king in those little things. And he changes your heart motive, not just the, I'm going to try here, I'm going to work here. And as he changes your heart, again, that's where it begins to permeate and impact other people. First and foremost, with you and your household. So again, he is the greatest treasure. Don't let familiarity be a stumbling block to true surrender to Jesus as king. Because when we do that, we get to experience the kingdom of heaven in the ordinary. You know, I really appreciated, I didn't catch your name, you shared that passage about Jacob um, at the beginning of the service, like having this dream and then waking up and being like, surely God is in this place and I had no idea. That's the story of the Bible. God wants to enter in to the ordinary. He makes the ordinary sacred. Of our lives he can do that it is incredible to me that he doesn't go to like the world powers and change them and work his way down no he goes to the dirty dishes when our hearts are turned toward him and making him king and he can have an impact through that that is real power that is true power and authority so he is the king who invites us to partner with him to give the world a taste of the kingdom of heaven that he's going to bring eventually one day. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are incredible. Your power is without end. You are the creator of The universe, God, galaxies upon galaxies. And yet you came here that you know each one of the souls that are here. God, you know each of the routines and you deeply care and you love. And Lord, and I just pray for this body of believers that we would not shy away from the truth and the hard things, God, that we would not try to manage and be our own kings and queens and the normal stuff and just have you on the side or have you on Sunday or have you in small group, but, but not really make you king in all the the places where you want to be where you want to show your power so God I just pray that for myself I pray that God I would surrender to you I pray for those here that we would really surrender to you and we thank you that you are good Um, and God as we wait on you you will make all things new God, uh, you are worthy of our worship and praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.